We'll be back where we were Sunday morning, but I think I'll ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14, that being the first passage that we will look at this evening. And I want to continue on. My, what's the purpose of my existence here? Paul said if there was no resurrection, the best thing you can do is eat and drink and, and go out and have a good time. Because tomorrow you die. So if there is no resurrected Christ, then enjoy, enjoy life here. Because this is where it ends for all of us. And we are no better than the beast of the fields. But if God created man in his likeness and in his image, and we pass into an eternity, now you can't wrap your head around that. I can't either. I am not belittling you in any way when I say you can't. None of us can. We're such creatures of time. We live by the second hand on the clock. We exist for that. But I won't repeat, I hope, more than just a phrase or two from Sunday morning, but I do want to extend that a little further, still not getting to the heart of of the message, to me the heart of it, and I hope that'll be this Lord's Day, hopefully. But we'll have to wait and see about that. First Corinthians chapter number two. I'm not going to read any verses there to you, or a verse in that chapter to you right yet. But I would ask you to to bow with me as we seek our Lord's face. Our Father, we are indeed thankful. For the written word, for a spiritual understanding, as only thy spirit can instruct, because the written word cannot do anything other than kill us, but it takes the living word. And I pray that you might make it that for us as you give us hearing ears, seeing eyes, understanding heart. Give us the Spirit of God to make application of it to our hearts. And I pray you might make it effectual 
to these gathered here and to those later that might be inclined to listen. Give wisdom, give unction, clarity, direction. And would you help get the preacher out of sight? And him only out of hearing distance that they might hear thee and that they might leave with souls benefited with Christ our Lord glorified in his name we pray Amen we begin last Lord's Day morning with that next to the last verse in Ecclesiastes. As to glorifying God. Of course that's one of the primary purposes of you being here. But I trust that your appetite was whetted enough in looking at some verses of Scripture that you went home. I never ask you to take my word for anything. I don't want you doing that. You do me no favor by saying the preacher said it. I believe it. You do yourself great harm in that. I want you to find out if what the preacher told you is the truth. And I, I, I hope that there was enough interest stirred at least in your head that you did begin searching the scripture to see if these things were so I said the head because it's got to get in your head that's the beginning place it's got to get there before it ever gets in your heart I told me about I told you about my early years coming into some very strange doctrines something things that I have never never heard in my life and I begin to see these things in my head and seeing them there I thought well you can't deny it it's written God said it but I thought that's not for the church in our day so I, for months upon end, kept everything within, had no one to talk with, until some of these great things seated themselves in my heart, and I thought, God didn't put that there for me, and me only. God put it there for everyone. So I hope that you understand, as we read from Acts 17, that you are in the world, this old world, at this particular time, 
You have your place in society, and even tonight you sit on this pew, being ordained of God, having determined your bounds. And your time that you would dwell upon the earth. So you're here. You're here not because of fate. Not because of chance. You're here because of the sovereign act of God. For God had you in mind when he, no, before he ever created that first man and that first woman. God made of one blood, Adam's blood, all men. Now when the scripture uses the word men, it always, or in many places, it is referring to you ladies also. God made of one blood all nations of men. Bloodline being transmitted through Adam, except the God-man, and he was born, carried in the virgin's womb, but not born because of an earthly father. So God made all. And the reason that God made you, put you here in this time, in the world, and hopefully has brought you into an encounter with the gospel, your life crossed paths with the gospel, was that you might, and this also is in Acts 17, don't remember if I read it to you or not, but the next verse below, that you might happily seek the Lord and find Him. So that begins to answer your question as to what is the purpose of my existence? God. God only. Now in you, hopefully all of you, Number one, God would establish His person, His being, His character. Covered that Sunday. Father. But you can't get to the Father except through the Son because we're all sinners. And you can't get to the Son or the Father except by the Spirit of God. No man can come unto me, John 6. But once you get there, it is a continuation throughout life, getting to Him, His being, His character of the Godhead, all three, being established in your heart. Can you get there? Now you've got your Bible. That will teach you a lot about God. But it cannot teach you all about God. God cannot be limited. And you cannot put all of God in 66 little books. 
John said, I suppose that if everything was written, that Christ said and Christ did, even the worlds could not contain the books that could be written of him. John probably had a greater access to the early years of the Lord Jesus than anybody ever did. The only thing we know about him was his birth, then, then Joseph and Mary moving down into Egypt, coming back by way of Nazareth. Don't know anything else about him until at the age of 12, he's sitting there with the learned doctors, lawyers, that is the religious doctors of his day. But remember, on the cross, Christ committed his mother to John. Behold my mother, he said to him. Which in the, in essence is saying, look after her. They didn't have welfare. Didn't have government handouts. It was the responsibility of the church. So John took Christ's mother into his home. And can you imagine the nights that they sat around, the winter nights, when when they're so long and you got nothing to do but but look at a look at a fire and, and talk if you've got company and her telling her telling him all about the Lord Jesus. No wonder he thought the world cannot contain the books of all that Christ did or said. Maybe telling them about his younger years. Now here's the behavior of his younger brothers. But there was something about that older son that was different than any anyone I've ever known or anyone that I've ever had a mother tell me about her children. I saw this in my younger children that I did not see in my oldest son. So we had much of the early years of Christ probably being related to him. So now your purpose, one of the primary purposes of your existence is that the person and character of the living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, be established in your heart. Now use the word God, or the word Lord Jesus, or Jesus, or Spirit, and there will be millions this coming Lord's Day that will hear those names. Millions, I'm told millions. But of the vast majority of those that hear the word God, Father, Son, Christ, Spirit of God, they will come in with their own preconceived notion and ideas of this is who God is, this is what God is, their own mental concept of God. And the first thing God has to do if He's going to save one in religion is begin tearing away everything you know.
Christ said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I tell you who he's like. He's like a wise man that, that built his foundation upon a rock, digging out all that's necessary to get it down on that that is firm and established. He's a wise man, Jesus said. Then when God in providence sends storms through his life and floods and great winds, that man's house will stand because it's built on the rock. You want to know who the foolish man is? The man that hears my sayings and does not do them. He's like a man that builds his house on the sand. The weakest of all foundations. And when the winds, heavy rains, floods come, his house is destroyed. And Jesus said, great is the fall thereof. Children, you got this life and this life only. And when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm a child. God said, no, don't you say that you're a child. Don't be giving me any excuses. If I call you and send you, you are qualified. And whatsoever I speak, that you are to carry to the nations and to the kingdoms. I've set you up over all of them. And when you are preaching, I do not want you to be afraid of men's faces. And here's the first thing God told him to do. Number one, pull down. Number two, destroy. Number three, throw down. I want you to clean out of men's minds false notions, false ideas, false images, false gods. Destroy it all and then begin to build and plant. Now dear soul, if you've got a heart for the Lord, your purpose in life is for a revelation of God. Now, the ultimate reason for that revelation is due to his heart, but I'm skipping that until next time. If you've got a heart that desires to seek after God, then God had to give you, create in you, birth you, give you a new nature. No man by first birth ever desired God. None. There, there is none that seeketh after God. Not one. Paul writing to the Romans. Now here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and verse number 14, the natural man, that is, one born only the first time, 
by an earthly father, an earthly mother. That's the natural man. That man or that woman, only with that birth, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Why, Paul, can he know them? They are spiritually discerned. He can't know them. Now, folk, I know this is a crude illustration, but if if all of you went out into the into the woods or into your garden spot and you dug up an earthworm and you brought it inside and you put it in in the most favorable living conditions, and in the summertime it's cool for it, doesn't have to bury too deeply in the soil, it's got plenty of moisture, doesn't have a great deal where it cannot live in a ground saturated and comes to the top, it's got just the right amount of moisture, it's got, it's got uh, in wintertime the right amount of warmth, you've done all you can. But the one thing that you cannot do to that earthworm that you brought in to make a pet of is that you will never be able to express your being, your person, your heart, because that little creature doesn't have the mental capacity to ever know you. You say, well... That's kind of offensive. Well, God sometimes in Scripture is rather offensive as to our understanding. But you could as easily communicate and teach that earthworm, this is who I am, this is how much I care for you, this is what I want for you, this is why I brought you within. You could as easily easily teach that little creature about yourself and why you did what you did for it as God could to you. Well, I don't like that. I'm not a worm. That offends me greatly. Okay, how about this one? Isaiah 41, 14. Fear not thou worm Jacob. And Jacob's, he's the father of the twelve boys that become the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob is the one that, that becomes Israel, the one that has power with God. But God just wanted him to know, I brought you from the state of that little creepy, crawly creature that never could understand anything about me. Because I wanted you to know me. And I wanted you to know why I did what I did. Jacob would steal. He would cheat. He would lie. 
He would do whatever he could to get his father's blessings and the firstborn birthright. But he never had a desire for God. Never. Until God birthed him and brought him into the family of God. When I don't know. Don't know. The scriptures are just not definite for enough for me to say Jacob was born here. I know when he became Israel. I know why God did it. Same reason God saved you. Let me say he's in the process of saving you. He's got a lot more to teach you than what you know tonight. He's got a greater interest in you knowing him than we'll ever have in knowing him. And we'll never pursue that interest. Nor can we ever know that unless God brings us from a natural realm into a spiritual realm. He'd do what he, whatever he could to get things here on this earth, but he never had a desire for his father's God. Because he was as we, as Christ said in John 3, that which is born of flesh, it's flesh. That's the highest you can ever hope to be. As high as you can rise. Flesh is going to dictate. Flesh is going to reign. And there will never be any desire within within any lost person beyond that which they can achieve or obtain naturally. They'll spend their lifetime seeking for things that can never satisfy within. For a time... Finances and getting getting richer might satisfy. But the man that's made a million dollars wants two million. And the man that's made two million wants uh, five hundred million. And the one that's made five hundred million wants a billion. They just never satisfied. Unless God does something with us. The natural man will spend his entire life, if I just had a better job, if I just didn't have to work so many hours, if I had more influential friends, if I had friends in higher places, If I could attain to a higher status in life, so that when I walk down the street, folk would take their hat off and say, Mr. to me. But if you could get it, it wouldn't satisfy, because we've got a heart that's empty. And God made it that way, and He made it that way 
for a purpose. Now, now Romans 5, 19. I say to you that God needed you. I am not speaking in the sense that the modern evangelicals out there use the word needed. God never needed anything. There was complete satisfaction in the triune God. And yet I will use that term, hoping that you know what I'm saying here, God had a need for the expression of his being that you might know him. Now, if Romans 5, 19, that God had to do something about you because you never had a desire to know God, you never had a desire to seek after God, you were perfectly satisfied with your station in life, as far as God's concerned. Natural man will never reach a state of complete satisfaction. He's got an empty, empty heart. But now Romans 5:19, for as by one man's disobedience, now listen, many were made sinners. Now keep those words in mind. There's no being that ever since the fall of Adam came into the world that was not a sinner. All men are born sinners. But all men do not know that they are sinners. They do not know that they are without God, without Christ in this world. They do not know that the best that they can do is sinful. You can do good deeds. You can be a good dad. You can be a good mother. You can be a good employer, employee. You can be a good citizen. You can do all these things well, but you can't do them apart from sin. There's some ulterior motive in everything you do. But you don't know that. And I didn't know that until made a sinner. Now, how can you be made a sinner if you're born into the world as a sinner? Only the Spirit of God dealing with you, revealing a holy God, bringing you into awareness of, I'm guilty before that holy God. So many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many, not everyone, 
shall many be made righteous. Christ said, I didn't come to call the righteous. But if we're, sit, if we're sitting there in the, in, the, in the hearing distance of our Lord, and He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, we might, we might be brave enough to raise our hands and say, Lord, your book said that there's none righteous. What do you mean you didn't come to call the righteous, but you came to call sinners to repentance? I mean, it's written, and Paul brings it out in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. We say, Lord, it's, it's declared in the Old Testament that there's no one righteous. But see, that's not in everybody's minds. Because many people in their own thinking are all right. And they'll live the entirety of their life here on earth thinking they're not a bad person. As the world judges them, they could be at the upper uh, group of society of people that are just they just plain out good people. There's a lot of good people as far as a benefit to family, a benefit to society, a benefit wherever they go. There's a lot of good people. And they're not bad. Let's See if we can see this through the eyes of God. Because see, folks, I'm not going to stand before a judge and a jury made up of my own peers. I'm going to stand before a thrice holy God that not only sees all my actions, but looks at the very motive as to that which is, has moved me to do what I do. I mean, somebody might make me mad. And never, the world never know about it. I, I might get mad with my machine, Tim. And beat it to death. <laughs> and nobody would have known about that probably if Tim hadn't told us. But you might get mad with somebody nobody ever knew it because it never expressed itself outwardly. But God knows it. God knows all your thoughts. God knows your next thought. He said, I know your thoughts are far off. You live to be 99 years old. God tonight knows what you'll be thinking when you're 99 years old, this exact moment, at the age of 99. Nothing's hid. So I'm not going to be judged by a human being. I'm going to be judged by Almighty God. And God said, there's nobody righteous. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. One last passage, I think. Then I have you turn with me. First Corinthians fifteen twenty two, speaking about 
Many were made sinners. And yet all men are sinners. But it is a work of God by His Spirit to make men aware that they are sinners because God has a greater purpose for them than them going through life as sinners. God has a desire that they know Him, serve Him, honor Him, love Him, obey Him, give their all for Him and for His church. And this, this shows you that all men are sinners. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die. We just leave it right there. Every man. Adam could only birth dead men. Ye who were dead in trespasses and sin, God hath quickened, made a lie. In Adam all are dead. So the Spirit of God didn't make you aware, or didn't give you life, making you aware that I'm a sinner, I'm undone, if God doesn't do something, my sins are going to carry me into the, the lake of eternal destruction and damnation. God doesn't make you aware of your sinfulness or depraved nature, ultimately to condemn you, but to justify all who flee. Now the part I didn't read in that, in Christ, all shall be made alive. In Christ, all are already living. So God brought you to know that you, who you were in Adam to bring you on to establish his being in your mind and especially in your heart. To establish it there. There, for God is the most majestic. Would to God we could get away, clear our minds of the thinking that religion has produced in our minds, helped us to draw a picture of this God. God is the most majestic, glorious, and I'll use a word that is tossed around like a penny, awesome. I mean, I hate it because it's overuse has brought it to mean little of nothing. Well, that was an awesome task. An awesome job that they did. But I want you to apply it to God. He is an awesome being. Yet, as glorious and high and exalted and far above man as, as, as He is, God has come down to where you are. And this glorious, magnificent being is a pitying, loving, merciful, gracious Father. 
The first is holiness. Is that you have you see? By the way, holiness is the essence of God. Everybody talking about the love of God. Love is just one of the attributes of God. But you talk about the holiness of God, it runs from the beginning to the end of Scripture. So holiness is his essence. And that being first established, then he sets his son before you as your only hope and your only redeemer. And then the Spirit of God that has given life and has wrought all this in you, in your heart. As he was departing, he said to the disciples, when I leave you, sorrow is going to fill your heart, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the comforter that is one alongside of you, or one called up beside you to be your aid. And that was the Spirit of God. He said, when he gets here, he's going to take my place. Oh, he's not your Savior now. He's going to point you to the Savior. And so the Spirit of God was destined to take the place of Christ. While Christ sits on the mediatorial throne to reign over, you got one alongside of you to teach you. Bring you on to know God. Creating you, continually creating in you a hunger and thirst. And Christ, by the Spirit of God, gave to the disciples a deeper knowledge than they ever had. While he was with them on earth. I mean, he said, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to wicked men. They're going to shamefully treat me, eventually crucify me, and the third day I will rise again. Now there's no reason other than rising again that a common, naturally thinking man, I mean, just a very low IQ, they can't understand that. I mean, they live, those disciples live in a land that they've seen crucifixion, hundreds upon hundreds crucified. They've seen them buried, they've seen them shameful, shamefully entreated, but the scripture said they didn't understand any of those things. But when the Spirit of God descended on the day of Pentecost, then the disciples understood. Then the disciples remembered those things that he had taught them. So he gives divine strength, he the Spirit, enabling the children to endear the flames, because God's going to burn off everything about you. It's not like Christ. 
He's going he's going to throw you into deep waters at times, into much tribulation. He entered the kingdom of God through much tribulation. And it is in the fire and the water, waters, floods, great tribulations that you began to see and learn God. But see, God created you and He recreated you for the purpose of revealing Himself and making Himself known to you. If you've got an ounce of a desire to seek after God, He gave it. If you don't have, you're either lost or have slidden so far away from God that you do not give any evidence of being a child of God. And I hate this term, backslidden. They've gathered that term and they've they've used it and they throw it out to everybody's made profession hadn't been in church in 40 years. They just, well I remember when they got saved, they just backslid. Long as any of us know about one being in a backslidden state is David. That was maybe nine Nine months. But God got a hold of him. God's not going to let you live there. He's got a grander, a higher, a more noble calling for you in this whole world than for you to look like, live in this world, act like the people of this world. More noble, more higher than for you to just be a religious follower. Your existence by recreation is to come to know God.